You're listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. The opportunities we have, but today is a good day. Again, we titled this Sunday Legacy Sunday, and I hope this message will, will help us know, help you know just a little bit more uh, about who we are. But before I get there, I want to look at Matthew chapter 5, and today I am going to attempt to wrap up the Beatitudes. And so we're going to take some time and see how far we can get with the Beatitudes. I, I think we'll be okay. But if you look at Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 1, let me read it to you. It says, Now when Jesus saw his neighbors, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and they began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil things against you because of me. Rejoice, be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who went before you. What up? amazing message. Again, it's the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount, and he started with really the gospel kingdom manifest, and that's the Beatitudes. And remember the last few weeks, we've covered three, four of those Beatitudes. We're going to actually step in with the fourth one today. So far, we've studied the first three of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who admit that they're bankrupt, that they are empty inside. Blessed are those who mourn. The Bible says, and you will be comforted, broken, grieving, and blessed are the meek, for you will inherit the earth. And then there's the fourth beatitude. It's where Jesus tells us that now that we're empty, now that we are poor and we mourn and we are meek, you're in the perfect place for God to fill you. And that's what this fourth beatitude is really all about. It says, blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. I'd like to look at that beatitude maybe in a little different way. Put a uppercase R on the word righteousness because it is righteous. Jesus is the righteous one. So I read it a little differently sometimes. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for Jesus. Those that hunger and thirst for Jesus, for they will be filled. Notice that the first four beatitudes are how I live life with God. When we look at those Beatitudes, especially those first four, it's about my relationship with God in heaven. And then you go to the last four Beatitudes, and it's how we relate to one another. It's how I live my life out in faith with you, in community. It's how we get along with each other. It's how we solve problems together. It is all those kinds of things. Notice that those first four talk to us about God, the second four about each other. Now, here's how Jesus fills us after we're empty, and I love it. It begins with, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. I don't think it's any accident that Jesus starts out being filled, telling us to be filled with mercy. That's the first ingredient that follows once we're empty. 
You see, the Bible tells us that without love, we're just nothing. Without the love of Jesus Christ in our life, we can make a lot of noise. We can do a lot of things. But without love, the love of Christ, we're nothing. So Jesus starts with laying a foundation. If you can just picture it in your mind, he's saying, now, everything else will be built on this mercy. Everything else that you do, all the other characteristics, all the other qualities of Christian behavior is built on this mercy, this love of Jesus Christ. I don't know if you've noticed this, but when you read through the Beatitudes, I, I, I think and I hope you've done that over the last few weeks, that each Beatitude provokes a different response. So when it says one thing like poor, it provokes a response in you. Mourn, it provokes a response, a different response in you. There's a different response for each Beatitude. I usually respond to Beatitudes or other things that I'm reading, other passages. I start with questions. I'm typically asking questions, and when I read this beatitude, the first question that came to my mind was, what is the risk that I take being merciful? And what are my fears in showing mercy? Because I think most of us, if we admitted it, we, we self-protect. We don't want to be that vulnerable. I don't want to show you that I really, really love you. I really care for you. That, that's putting everything out on a limb. And I'm afraid of that. There's a, there's a fear that exists. Remember, each beatitude comes with a different risk, a, a different reward. So here's my risk or fear for showing mercy. It's that the person that I show mercy toward would take advantage of me. Can you say yes to that? That when I extend myself, when I'm vulnerable, when I'm open, that that person that I'm open to or vulnerable to, that would, they would take advantage of me and this may be why it's hard for us to show mercy i think the lack of mercy we might see today because we've gone more to self-protect than we have to step out and show god's love in a lot of ways in our life it, it just seems like a this reaction we have is just to protect ourselves to cover ourselves to guard ourselves and jesus is telling us something that is totally opposite remember it, it, it's upside down living. He's saying, no, don't protect yourself. Step out and love others. Here's when I trust God as my protector. I love the scripture that says, and David said this, you are the glory and you're the lifter of my head. David understood that God is his protector. I have to trust God. And I have to trust God is working in the one being shown mercy. But I also need to trust God in he's working in the one showing mercy. Not the one only receiving, but the one showing. That's me. The mercy God gives is in itself the blessing of God. Listen to what it says. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown by God's mercy. They will experience the mercy of God. Mercy comes from mercy. Our mercy toward each other comes from God's mercy toward us. And here it is. I think the key of being merciful is that you know you owe everything to the God who showed you mercy. I think really that's the bottom line for me. Is that I want to show mercy. I want to show love because I know there's a God who gave all that he had for me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That all who believe in him would not perish but they would have everlasting life. So here's the next beatitude. It's the sixth one. It says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. 
or blessed are those who aren't pretending to be more than they really are. That's really what this means here. The word pure uh, here is the idea of being undivided, being authentic. It is a sincere heart. Back during the Roman culture, they developed quite a community of artisans, those that would paint and sculpt and do all kinds of things that, that they, they, they gave to, to the art world. But there was one problem, and it's a problem we also have today, a lot of forgery. So people would forge the wonderful artwork of the great sculptors, kind of like the Gucci knockoffs. You know, it's that kind of thing. They would sell those on the streets, and they would be saying that this comes from one famous particular sculptor. Well, the sculptors obviously knew that their profits were being cut into, that their name wasn't being used correctly. So what did they do? They formed kind of a union. They got together, and they said, we can't let this happen. There needs to be a way to stop this because what's happening is they're selling what they're saying is our art, but they're filling in all the cracks, the imperfections, the flaws with wax, and then they're covering it over. So the person, when they get home, find out that they don't really have a Gucci, but they have a gotcha, something like that. And that was happening. And so they got together and they developed their own insignia. It was their own stamp and it was on every authentic work. It read, and it was a little stamp, it read, Sina Sera, Sina Sera. You know what I mean? Without wax. So what you're buying is authentic. It's real. It's not wax covered up. It's not wax that once you get home can melt in the heat. And it's so interesting here because something so interesting, Jesus begins his ministry with these beatitudes and he's telling us blessed are the pure in heart. And he ends his ministry with the seven woes in Matthew 23. So when you look at these as bookends of the ministry of Jesus, you find out something that's pretty amazing here. In verse 23 of chapter 23 in Matthew, Jesus says, woe to you hypocrites. Those who are not real. Those who fill in with wax. So Jesus begins and he ends his ministry with this truth. He says, blessed are the sincere, but woe to you who are faking it. When your eyes are open to what is authentic, to what is real and sincere, then the Bible says, you will see God. That's an amazing gift, amazing blessing that we're given. Now, the seventh beatitude, it reads like this. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. So you're seeing God with a pure heart, and now when you're a peacemaker, you're in God's lineage. He says, I want to be related to peacemakers. I want these, these people to be my kids. And I'll tell you, this is a quality that we would want to look at, I think, closely today, is what does it mean to be a peacemaker? With all the things that are going on, <clears throat> in all the social circles, in our culture, in this country, around the world, what does it mean? Because it's a quality that Jesus says you, you need to have. If you're one of my kids, <clears throat> you need to possess this quality. You need to be a peacemaker. Now, before I go any further, let me say this about peacemakers. They're not spineless. <laughs> They're not wishy-washy. In fact, peacemakers are some of the strongest people I have met in my life. They really are. Peacemakers are actually disruptive forces to be reckoned with because they don't take sides easily. See, their goal is to have peace, the peace of God. They hold tensions well. 
between all the sides. They hold tensions really well around them. Uh, They know, they study what's going on around them, the people around them, relationships around them. Now, here's the problem of being a true peacemaker is when you hold tensions from every side, you're going to get rocks thrown at you from every side. (laughs) Because people today want you to buy into their side really quickly. And if you don't buy in to everything one person says, then you are their enemy. You're on the opposite side. There's not a a room for negotiation. There's not a room for discussion about what does it mean to come together and be peacemakers in the midst of a a rancorous world, a difficult place that we live. There have been some pretty famous feuds over the past few centuries. I mean, when you look at history, and I love to do this, and I look at some of the famous feuds that have existed in our past, um, Hatfields and McCoys, that's a famous one. Uh, The regulators and moderators, for those that don't know, that's Billy the Kid and Pat Garrett. The Cowboys and Wyatt Earp brothers. Hamilton and Burr. Ali and Frazier. But I don't think there was one more colorful than Churchill and Lady Astor. I don't know if you've ever studied English or British history, but Astor said one time to Churchill, if you were my husband, I would poison your coffee. To which he replied, if you were my wife, I would drink it. (laughs) Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. You see, everywhere we go, we want to look for opportunities to not keep peace, but to make peace. There's a difference. What does it mean to be a peacemaker? Well, it gives us the answer. Jesus actually goes on a little further, and if you go all the way down to verses 43 through 45 of this chapter, we're told and we're given the answer of what it means to be a peacemaker. Two things. One is to love your friends. Whoop, nope. Love your enemies. And then pray for those who persecute you. You see, peacemakers have this quality in their life that they look around and they pray for those who persecute them and they step into loving those that their enemies. This isn't easy to do. Love and pray for your enemies and persecutors. You know, they may look to you like right now in this moment. They might be family members, coworkers. Might be the person that cut in front of you just the other day when you were at the grocery store. Might be a classmate. Classmate, someone you're going to school with right now that constantly constantly torment you i had one of those in my life when i was in middle school i had this guy that i played baseball with we were oh man we were friends but we were sometimes the worst enemies and and he would exasperate me he would really frustrate me he was one of those bully type of guys came home told my mom and dad about it they said you need to pray for your enemy you need to love your enemy and those that persecute you you need to pray for them And I thought to myself, there's no way that this will ever change this man's life, this boy's life. He did, as time went on, came to faith in Christ Jesus. Ended up being one that ministers the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's amazing what God can do when we focus on loving and praying. The difference that it will make in the communities we're a part of. So why do we do this? Because prayer and love isn't so much about changing others. It's about changing me. Listen, peacemakers, again, are not the same as peacekeepers. Uh, Peacemakers 
They, they long for peace. They work for peace. They sacrifice for peace, all the while knowing that achieving peace may never, ever happen. See, they take seriously the goal that the Apostle Paul gives them in Romans chapter 12, verse 18. It says, if possible, so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. It's interesting. If possible. But never peace at all costs. That's a peacekeeper. A peacekeeper is someone who will make peace at all costs, even if it compromises what they believe, even if it compromises their convictions. That's not what this is about. This isn't about compromising convictions. That's not what this is saying. It's saying to us that we all achieve and want to achieve peace, knowing that it might not ever come, but it is our effort that God sees. And what God says is when you make that effort, you're my kids. You're my kids. And then the last beatitude says this. Blessed are you when you are persecuted because of righteousness, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Wow. Gets a little more serious. Didn't the stakes go up a little bit on us, didn't it? As it progressed to this eighth beatitude, it gets a little more uncomfortable. Uh, Because I don't know. I don't know if you've ever really been persecuted or not. Um. Blessed are you because you are living your life in a Jesus way that makes others uncomfortable. Uncomfortable to the degree that they would insult you and accuse you and persecute you like they did Jesus. But here's the deal and something I want us to pay attention to. I've seen people use their faith and they go out of their way to provoke others, to alarm others, and even to hurt others with their faith, it really doesn't have anything to do with restoration or redemption, but it has everything to do with provocation, and there's a difference. And when others retaliate, they say that they were persecuted. No, they were not (laughs) persecuted if you provoke. This is different here. Jesus says this is different. Look at the life of Christ. Take the last few hours he was on this planet. He never struck out. He never went after anybody. He never provoked. In fact, most of the time, he was silent. And when he did speak, what he spoke were words of life, words of forgiveness. That's what Jesus did. There's so many Christians around the world today that are truly persecuted for their faith. I I really stopped for a moment and thought about this quite a bit in my studies and prayed for the persecuted church, the underground church, the hidden church. Those that are really being persecuted for what they believe. I mean, where they're losing really life, limb, property. All of those kinds of things are taken from them because they call on the name of Jesus. And I want us to, I want us to acknowledge that. I want us to be careful with that and hold that in a sacred way and really honor the persecuted church. One of the things I know that can demean the persecuted church is when we say we've been persecuted, when it really was not persecution, but maybe more of an inconvenience, maybe uh, more I didn't get my way, uh, maybe more I actually become a victim. Be careful how we use the word persecuted, because there is a selected group on this planet and one that has always represented the persecuted church from the day of Jesus that deserve that honor of being persecuted for Jesus Christ. Real persecution. I've had a taste of it here and there in other countries. Just maybe someone spit on me or 
someone called me a name, but, but not to the degree that the persecuted church has experienced. Listen, the persecuted church is something that we and people that we need to pray for and pray about and pray over. Let them be lifted up. Let them be honored. Someday we may experience that kind of persecution, but right now we have the free freedom not to turn to our own problems, but to look out and say, Lord, we're going to pray for the church, the body of Christ around the world. Today, we've been given this great manifest, this this manifesto of how to live your life through the Beatitudes. Eight wonderful guidelines that come with blessing in our life. Remember those blessings. Hold those up. Cherish them in your own life. In Jesus' name. Now let me pray. Father, we want to thank you today for all that you've done for us and the way that you've cared for us. Lord, I am reminded today to pray for, to pray for the persecuted church, those that even right now, Lives are being taken because they don't compromise the name of Jesus and their faith. Lord, let us continue to walk in a way that shines the light of Jesus Christ. Thank you for your great love. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's what I want to do just for the next few minutes, next 20 minutes or so. I want to honor God's legacy in, in this church. Uh, we are blessed. Blessed am I when I come here in fellowship. That's, that, that's the beatitude that I hold dear. One of the templates, the main template that we model our lives after as believers in Jesus Christ and as a home church, it's found in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It's familiar with most of you. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. That's martyrs. That's what the word means. You will be my martyrs in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I love that because it's a, it's a simplified way to look at what is our mission? Where are we supposed to go? Some of us are called to Jerusalem, some to Judea, Samaria, some to the uttermost parts of the earth. And we've seen those expressions in this very place. And I'm so thankful for that. One of the other things that I'm so grateful for is that we... Uh, we have in our midst, in our community, we have our founding pastors, Jack and Linda Gustafson, and they're part of this community, and I love it. And they, they've been missionaries in Brazil, but they started this church, it will be 44 years this coming November, that they started Canby Foursquare Church, New Life Foursquare Church. And what I thought would be just a great thing to do is to just ask Jack if he would share with you just a bit on how this church was founded. He is an eyewitness. They are eyewitnesses. But I'd like Jack and Linda just to stand up. Would you do that? And would you let these folks, these wonderful folks, know how much you love them? Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Linda's uh, really the one who planted the church. He was just the face on it. So we just want you all to know that. Jack, come on up here. Let's get the microphone there, Annette. Oh, you got it. Oh, great. Did you say it was on? Yeah, there right. you go. Good. Thank you, Jack. You just lay Thank your you. stuff right over the top there if you want. Thanks, Pastor Ron. I appreciate the opportunity to try to remember 44 <laughs> years ago <laughs> and what happened in the, in the planting of this church. Mm -hmm. First of all, a little item of business, especially for you in the second row. If you were worried about me losing my mind at the beginning of worship, it's okay. I figured it out. I started swatting this bug that was kept going by my glasses. <laughs> I said, what the world's going on here? This thought it was a moth, and then it <laughs> dawned on me. 
it was the reflection of the light on the tuning keys of the bass guitar <laughs> that John was playing. And so I figured that out, so we're good. You know, it was, a, it was an adventure, it still is an adventure, in, uh, in uh, regard to planting the church, and uh, which reminds me, back in that day, we didn't call it planting churches. That, that's to tell you I'm a little older. <laughs> now, it's called, well, I don't even know if I have the current term now. If it's, uh, it, uh, if it's, uh, it was, back then, it was called pioneering. So we were more like um, these weird, woolly, long-haired, rough-looking people out with a machete in our hand going out and pioneering a church, hacking our way through the jungle <laughs> and uh, of the devil's opposition. But now it's planting a church. I guess that's still current. Thank you. And uh, planting a church is much more intentional. It's, it, there's, a, there's a lot of stuff lined up before you actually open the doors. Well, all we had lined up was a few cars, and, uh, and we opened the doors. But uh, uh, here's how it happened with us. First of all, it's summed up in three words. God did it. We fully believe God did it. It started with um, sometime in the spring or summer of 1978, I contacted our district supervisor, Dr. Roy Hicks Sr., and I said, uh, Linda and I are feeling that God is putting on our heart to, to leave Medford Foursquare Church, where we were on staff, and pastor our own church. And bless his heart, he didn't say, oh, you guys aren't ready, even though we weren't ready. <laughs> he, said, he said, good. Let's do it. And he sent me out a couple places to check out a couple churches that existed and needed a pastor. And, and, um, and then he said, uh, have you thought about planting or, excuse me, pioneering a church? And, uh, and I said, yeah, a little bit, but don't you have any churches available already made and functioning? So what happened was, in my heart, was on the few occasions that I went out and checked out other churches, uh, we would come back through Canby, or I would come back through Canby, because my parents lived here and the family was here and this was home. And whenever I drove into Canby, and I'm not normally this way, at least back then, now I cry easily, but back then, <laughs> back then, I would just start crying. I'd have to pull my car over. I'd start crying. I just felt something about Canby. And you know, I'd lived in Canby. It's home. You don't go back to your hometown. You got to go out somewhere, especially if you're pioneering. You got to go out and forge your way in someplace new. But uh, God just did a work in my heart. And so I told Roy Hicks, uh, a senior, I said, you know, I, I told him this story. And he said, well, that's where you should go then. I said, well, what about the Bible? Uh, this scripture verse that says prophets are not without honor in their own country. He said, oh, I don't believe that for in regard to <laughs> going and starting a church. I think it's a great opportunity. You already know people and so on and so forth. So there's not going to be any cultural uh, things, you, issues you have to work through because you've lived there. So that's what happened. When we were, um, uh, when we started, we started with basically hardly anything, but I think I, I don't think I had a job. No, I think I might have done a little bit of work somewhere around here just to kind of put food on the table. But 
but we didn't, we didn't have much. And, and the district said, we're, we're going to help you. We're going to give you $600 a month. <laughs> Thank you. Even in that day, that wasn't much money. But I was grateful, very grateful. The church in Medford that uh, we c came out of to come here uh, sent us $300 a month. After three months, I told them both, you can use your money somewhere else. Because the people that began to come to the church right at the very beginning, I think we had around 35 people the first Sunday, 40-something after that, and uh, grew from there. The people that were coming and becoming a part of the church were very faithful in finances. And they still continue to be. It's just an, an, an awesome thing. So I called Roy Hicks Sr. I said, we're okay. You can use that money to help someone else. So then uh, we, had, we had a lot of divine provision through that time, not just finances, but also places to meet. We met in Dave and Shirley Boston's house for a while. When we actually officially opened the doors of the church for our first service, we met in what is now Chase Bank in a basement uh, community room. And uh, in seven weeks, we outgrew it. So it at that time, we had a, a young woman in the church who worked at Ackerman Junior High School, and she and 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 we talked to the district, uh, not the district supervisor, but the uh, superintendent of schools, and uh, and asked about the use of the, the school. He said, "Well, we have to have an employee uh, here when you're using it." I said, "Well, Lynn is uh, <laughs> is a member of our church," and he said, "All right, you can use the school. She'll have the key." And you guys can use the school. So we moved over to Ackerman Junior High School, where we met for, I think, a little over four years, if I remember right. Well, one of the things that was so awesome about that was um, that after a period of time, Lynn moved to Eastern Oregon. And the, the super, uh, superintendent of schools, I think his name is Brown, uh, called me in and said, and, you know, I get nervous having, being called before the superintendent of schools. or <laughs> And he said, uh, well, here's the deal. We have to try to find someone, an employee, who will be willing to come in on Sundays and open the door and then stay there till your service is done and then let you out. And, and um, he couldn't find anyone. So in my mind, I'm thinking, well, um, I know the Lord will provide. I'm not really worried about it. All of a sudden, he said, well, I'll tell you what. He pulls his big old wad of keys off his belt, pulls a key off. He said, this is a master key to all of the schools. Don't lose it. <laughs> he trusted us. It was a divine thing. It was incredible. Well, um, our team, often in planting a church, you start with a team. Our team was very... Um, Generic, organic. It was it was the people that started coming to the church, and quickly a team was formed just simply by observing what everybody, what each one can do, and what the passion of their heart was. God gave us awesome people. They they were marked by faith and by joy and willingness to work, faithful to give their time and their resources to build a church. They all quickly became the strength of this church. And many of those early team members still are a part of this church. I started to list them, and I thought, this may go on forever if I do. But my brother and his wife, by the way, I'm not trying to compete with my brother for length of hair. Um, the uh, uh, Knutsons, Juanita, Champ, 
the Sprague's, Boston's, Diggles. I mean, I could go on and on and on. Connie Freed back here, um, and several others, probably of you here today, that that were part of that early team. God did a wonderful thing in establishing that team. Linda and I were watching all this ha happening, and we felt like we were on a conveyor belt watching God bring it all about. We could we couldn't really keep up with it. So then, after uh, four years of Ackerman, we needed a home. A per we felt we felt in our hearts that we needed a permanent home, and not just bounce around from rental to rental. One morning, my uh, brother called me. He already had a cell phone way back in those days, and uh, great big old thing. And he uh, he called, said, Dad just called and said that he found. Uh, he said there was a a place, a building, a, con a construction company owned, that they're going to put on the market. So we took on territorial. So we took off and went looking for it. So we went the wrong way and went down territorial that way. And we came to a where a, a field of a lot of uh, trees and produce and stuff are, are grown. And there was this uh, ranch sack, ramsackle, ramsackle. This, there's a beat up old building sitting there that, that had dirt floor and no insulation in the walls. And we thought, this can't be it. I mean, if this is it, let's stay at Ackerman if we can a little longer. <laughs> and... Um, and then uh, we went the other way. And when we came over the tracks and across the highway, which didn't have a light in those days, in amongst a whole bunch of trees and brush was building number one over here. It was a, it was, uh, a construction company's shop. Well, we began to talk to them, and long story short, we were able to buy it. And that became our permanent home, as far as we know. And then it was expanded, a few more acres purchased under uh, Kingsbury, and then when Ron came, they greatly uh, expanded the property, and God has blessed. There's just a series of miracles like that. I was thinking about, well, what was our strategy in starting the church? I mean, thinking about pioneering instead of planting. What was our strategy? Did we have one? It was basically about forging ahead and faith and perseverance, then implementing a well-formed strategy. We were on a mission that required us taking a position against the devil on behalf of people. We were very aware of spiritual warfare in those days and did not back down from confronting Satan, demons, illness, and brokenness. And so the resistance broke down and God brought breakthrough for so many. Early on, we had prophetic words about the church. The church is to be like a hospital where you, uh, people can come in to be delivered, cared for, healed, given a place of service in and out of the young, this young church. And God brought those very ones in to be set free. It was like a hospital, still is. He also brought many great people who knew how to minister and love those who came. We became a, a cohesive unit. And we saw, I, I, I told my wife this morning, I wish I could remember some of the incidents of people whose lives were set free, but I know I don't have time for it. We did develop a strategy, and really briefly, it's this. It's like a three-legged, legged, that's kind of an old way to say it, three-legged stool, and um, that we want, balance is needed in the life of the church. The three legs are worship, the word of God, and then, in my words, the worth of each person who is a part of the church, because they are gifted by the power of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the natural abilities to be the ones who really are the 
ministers in the body of Christ. And so uh, based on those three things, that's what we focused on those early years in the life of the church. And God did some wonderful things. Worship. Uh, it's a dynamic strategy with dynamic results. In the atmosphere of worship, the word is opened. That's your word. Here's mine. The word is opened and the Holy Spirit is given access to our hearts and lives. And then a, a dynamic, effective church was born, becoming a place of transformation. Worship. Being fo focused on Almighty God was our priority. The Almighty Sovereign God is worthy of our worship and adoration. You all know that. In the presence of our Lord, everything changes. His power manifests. Our troubles and fears fade away as we look into his face. Bodies are healed. Relationships mended. And the devil's devious plans are thwarted. Worship is so vital. That's why we always begin with worship or sometime focus on worship in the service. The word of God, studying and teaching the life-changing word of God. We deeply believe that the cure for humanity's ills are found in the anointed word of God. If we would just study it and learn it, we would find many things in our own lives and hearts changed. We hold the word of God in high regard and maintain a priority of allowing the word to transform lives. And then finally, the worth of each individual member. We're committed to the belief that each person has been gifted and placed in the body of Christ to provide an essential role or function that enables the whole body to grow, mature, and be effective in reaching the world for Christ. We are all gifted with natural abilities, but more than that even, and more necessary, the Holy Spirit gives spiritual gifts and places of ministry and service and manifests the miracle-working power of God into otherwise helpless situations. This results in mutual respect for one another, honor, worth, purpose, launches us into our mission of reaching all people for, for Jesus. And in conclusion, from the beginning of the church, we were given, this is the key, wonderful, quality, gifted, joyful people without whom this church would not have accomplished all that God has done through Canby Foursquare Church. And to top it off, a couple of years after we moved to Florida to pioneer another church, God in his goodness placed new gifted leaders, Ron and Annette, as the pastors with a strategy to lead this church to a greater growth and impact in our community. And they've done a wonderful job. God bless. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. No, that's good. Thank you. Just let them know you appreciate them. I'm so blessed. Really am that they're here. And what they represent, what they started was really discipleship, making disciples that make disciples. They went off themselves, went off to plant and then missionaries to Brazil, by which you still help support uh, their exchanges with Brazil, where they go and what they do. So it's a blessing to be part of that. We also have uh, interns here in Jerusalem. We always uh, make sure that we're bringing up and training uh, young adults. And so I want our interns to go ahead and stand up this morning. Jared Ram. Ty Groshong, and Peyton Cabiero. Yeah, thank you, guys. Yeah, you may be seated. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. They're, uh, they're here. They're working with Annette and Ryan and Grace, doing a great job. And so we're so thankful. 
we're thankful that we get to do this. I told them we met last week in our orientation. I looked at them and I said, I want you to know something. The internship here isn't a side gig. It is in the fabric of who we are. This is a reflection of this church and what we want to accomplish. We also do something else. We have leadership that's developed here as far as our council, our Foursquare bylaws ask us to have a council. And so what I want to do is I'm just going to introduce to you, we have three uh, coming on council members, and uh, they are, and let me give you them by name, Dave Burnett. We also have Jeff Faulkner, and we have Greg Satram. Uh, these three are coming on to our council along with and joining Cheryl Blunk and Heather Sprague. I also want to honor three going out. We have to do rotations. We have one of the greatest councils on the planet. And the three that served uh, during especially the COVID pandemic time was Eric Humphreys, Brian Breitbarth, and Scott Edwards. We think so highly of these gentlemen that we've actually invited them to continue to come to the council meetings if they would like and just give their input. It is such a blessing. Here at this church, we've never voted uh, for uh, like ballots like we would do for a politician. What we do is we take votes of affirmation. The names that are given to you today have been referred to us by, uh, by our own council, myself, and others. These are in individuals that have showed their life in their journey in Jesus Christ in this place. And all I'm asking you to do today is just give a check of affirmation. Um, I want you to know, again, Dave Burnett, he's been here uh, married for 43 years, four children, nine grandchildren, has attended this church 26 years, involved with our youth, our ushering, our council. He is the co-owner of Crossroad Restaurant Group, the Oswego Restaurants and more and beyond. Dave uh, and his partner own and run the uh, Oswego Grills. And so Dave is also in the past served as a council member. He's coming back on. Uh, Jeff Faulkner, born and raised in West Lynn. He's been part of Canby Four Square Church for 18 years. And he's worked with our youth. He's worked with our interns on mission trips. He's done the coffee barista, still does, event force. He's done about everything you could imagine. And Gabe, his son, is attended CBC as an intern as well. Their family is part of the ministry team here and in community. So we're blessed by them. Greg Satram. Greg has been here for a few years now. Greg uh, was part of and he worked at Willamette Egg Farm for 25 years as manager. During that time, he became co-owner. Uh, Greg served as an executive committee, or uh, it serves on the executive committees of Northwest Food Processors, United Egg Proce Producers, and other regional poultry-related boards. He's in the hazelnut business now. And so uh, he's out there growing hazelnuts instead of chicken. So I don't know which is easier. But we're so thankful for Greg and Wyatt. And they have been involved and really have helped sponsor and support our interns and our youth. And it's just, it, it's amazing uh, what they do to get behind what's going on here. You're going to find out one thing in common with all three that are coming on is they love youth. And they get behind and make disciples who make disciples. And we're so we are so amazingly thankful for that. And so would you let them know you appreciate both those coming on and those exiting. <laughs> Judea and Samaria. Now we're moving out a little bit. And here's a, 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 what has happened through the church here. There have been hundreds and hundreds that have been trained and sent out from Canby Foursquare Church 
over the years. So, so many have gone to the furthest parts of this country. And this is our Judea, our Samaria. But I wanted to give you just a little clip of, of one. I can't cover them all because there have, been, there have been dozens of folks that have gone out from here, hundreds that have gone to be part of church planting process in, uh, in and around this country. We sent a group out to Kentucky, of all places, and they took about, I think, about 80 people went with them from here to Kentucky. They started a church there in Kentucky and uh, under the leadership of Tim Pollison at the time, but now under Tim Lawson. Tim Lawson was going to the Bible College or Berea College during the time we planted this church. He grew up in the system of the, the River of Life Church, Foursquare Church, and now is the lead pastor there. And then they sent out a team uh, to, pat, to plant in a, another area of Kentucky. Pastor Rennie Ross was sent out from their church. We are so thankful for this group. This is like our, our daughter church, and then they started a church, so we have a granddaughter church as well. And so we're excited about that. That just gives you a sampling. Go ahead and flip through those pictures a little quicker. There you go. That gives you an idea. There are people there that you might even recognize. Rose and Warren Pollison are part of that. Their kids were part of that. When they left here years and years ago, their kids were little. Now they've raised families and are involved in that church as well in Berea, Kentucky on I-75 corridor. So <clears throat> they have done a wonderful job, and so has Rennie Ross and his family. Just amazing. Out of the church in Kentucky, they also sent out missionaries to Costa Rica, Josiah and Cynthia Hubbard. Josiah was saved in this church when he was a teenager. He went on this great mission to Kentucky, grew up, uh, grew in Jesus, and then was sent out to Costa Rica as a four-square missionary. Can you see the multiplication? Do you get That's kind of the picture of what's happening here. And then to the ends of the earth. That has been a blessing to see as well. We have Pastor Arlene Tatum sent to Central Africa, Uganda, Rwanda, Kenya, specifically those areas, has ministered in the prison systems there. And Arlene, go ahead and stand. Everyone let, uh, let, let Arlene know you love her and appreciate her. We're so thankful. Um, there has been a blessing there that we've been able to see how God has called Arlene, how God has used Arlene in Central Africa has been amazing. You support her when uh, she goes and throughout the year. You've been very generous. You've blessed that. So there's another area that your fingerprints have, uh, have touched, and I'm thankful for that. We also have Pastor Sean Mason and his family. Uh, they, they grew up here. At least Sean did. Sean came to this church in grade school. He pastors in Korcha, Albania. He's actually the vice president of Foursquare Albania now. We, uh, we know that when, when he was here, he went there, and they, they are joined. They've been joined as well by Jordan and Christiana from our church. So they have partnered together in Albania. They minister in the Balkan region. Annette and I and Doug and Lori will be heading out there in November. We go there for a pastor's conference where we bring in uh, pastors and their families for a weekend. You sponsor, you pay for that time together for them. You generously give so pastors can be trained there in Albania, Macedonia, Kosovo, all, Greece. All of those pastors, many of those pastors come together. We have Karen Armstrong, Jack and Linda to Brazil, and then Open Arms in Africa that we support. And so I want you to know this, just a, a closing few words today with a Legacy Sunday, is what you have seen and, and heard this morning is your God-given blessed legacy. It's something that you've done, and you've done so much more. 
And I hope you hear my heart on this because I, I want uh, to strongly say, and I can't say it enough, this isn't my legacy or Annette's legacy. This is your legacy. We just get to be part of it. We've just been able to join up and, and partner with your story and how God has used you from the very beginning, how God has used you to touch the world. God said, go, and you went. You know, I never had this huge, big master plan. I mainly listened and watched. I asked the question, God, what are you up to? What are you up to in others, and how can I come along? How can we and Annette, Annette and I can come along and help? How do we help this happen? How do we make disciples that make disciples? All the church plants, all those trained and sent, it was all in your heart to do. And we were able to just be part of that. One of the things that we did that speaks so well of you is we, we disciplined our community life here, this church, for the go. So that whenever God would say go, we were ready to go. What does that mean? That means we've never had a huge mortgage. We've never had a huge facility in the sense of facilities. We've always kept things in moderation. So that when God says go, we don't have to ask the question, what's this going to do to impact our mortgage? Mission is more important than mortgage. And so we're always paying attention to the mission. And you've done that well. Your mortgage payment is only about 4 to 5% of your general fund. That is remarkable. And you keep knocking it down. That was a decision made by a council 34 years ago to say we cannot, we cannot let the building and our mortgage get in the way of our mission. And so you have responded to all the goes. When God says go, you're, you go. And I'm so thankful for that. So I want to thank you this morning. Thank you. Really thank you. From the bottom of Annette and our hearts, thank you for letting Annette and me be part of God's go here at Canby Four Square Church. And so would you do this? Would you please listen to your heart and what the Holy Spirit's saying to you? What's God asking you to do? Where is he asking you to go? He gives us all a go somewhere. Maybe it's Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Maybe it is to the othermost parts of the earth. But you all have a go in your heart. And we want you to be able to express that go wherever that might be. Please listen to the Lord and listen to the Holy Spirit. We want you to go. No go, no grow. That's really the way the body of Christ works. So I can't stress, you are needed. This is your legacy, your vision. There are worship team opportunities, children, youth opportunities. There are so many opportunities. God's go is always mainline to your growing. Continue to grow in Jesus by going to where and who he wants you to go to. The world needs Jesus. Would you bow your head with me? Father, I want to thank you today for the blessing that you have brought here to this place. Thank you. For those that are listening to this message, for those that are out and ab about today, we ask that you keep them and protect them and that the, that, that the message that, that those might hear in the next few days on our social media platforms, that they would be blessed, that there would just be an honor given to all the things that you're about and all the things that you do. Thank you for Canby Four Square Church. In Jesus' name we pray and we say, amen. Thank you for listening. 
Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbefoursquare.com.